Thank you very much. Um, before we begin, like everyone, want to take the chance to thank Scott for the opportunity to be part of this conference. And uh, I think I speak on behalf of Heather to just take the kind of rare public opportunity as one of the doctoral and graduate students of the School of Public Health to thank Scott for uh, his energy and his uh, support and generosity providing opportunities like this. So thank you very much. Uh, our goal today is to build on what has been said already uh, at this conference. Uh, we've had the historical perspective, and now we're going to try to look at <coughs> developing a map of infectious disease control in the European Union. Essentially the question of who does what. Uh, within the member states, how is communicable disease control being organized? What patterns do we see across countries, within regions? Uh, and what is the institutional landscape that is being Europeanized? To provide um, a, a number of caveats, I guess, in terms of developing this map, it's uh, somewhat of, seemed, at least initially to me, somewhat of a modest goal just to describe what's going on. But I don't have to tell everyone in this room kind of what a daunting challenge, what a complex uh, mm. system of uh, organizations we were up against. And so developing, uh, finding data sources that would be consistent across organizations, use similar terminology and so forth, uh, was a challenge especially since we don't speak Danish or Slovak or all these languages that you would need to really uh, understand, to really dig into the different legal codes and so forth. So we relied heavily on the two particular secondary data sources, uh, the first being the ECDC competent bodies list, uh, and the second being the HIT reports, the health in transition reports produced by the European Observatory, uh, as well as a list produced by the ECDC of who the member states are sending to their board. And so we primarily focus on the competent bodies list, uh, <coughs> which is you probably, as you may well know, is uh, a list posted on the CD ECDC website of the different organizations within each member state that are described as the competent bodies, the, the organizations that are responsible for performing various functions um, as described by the member states. I, we have a little bit more detail in the paper, but I, my understanding of the process is that the member states <coughs> nominate who's, who's, par who's part of the competent bodies list. Um, and so the advantage of using this is that we have uh, comparability. We're able to see what the formal relationships between the organizations are. Mm. Um, the disadvantage is it might not be realistic in terms of just really describing what is, what is actually happening, who's really talking to who. Um, but in my perspective, at least, I don't think that's necessarily a severe weakness. I think it just puts a twist on what our research question is. Instead of re being able to really describe who does what, our question is who does the ECDC think is doing what, or who uh, do the member states put forward as doing what. So we can't necessarily talk about true capacity or how well things are being done, but we can talk about what the formal relationships are between the organizations. Um, and because this is, I think, the only co-authored paper presentation in the, in the conference, I'm going to start by talking about the crowded landscape that we found. And then Heather's going to pick up talking about uh, the, the fragmentation as well as the degree of institutional density uh, and how it varies by region. Uh, and then all three of us will be available for questions in that period. So, so our first finding is that it's extremely large and complex. There 27 member states, an average of three organizations per country. Uh, some countries, as you can see, sorry, it's so small, but on the right side, some countries, Belgium, Slovakia, Poland, Romania, 
have five, six, or seven organizations described as competent bodies, uh, overlapping functions and, uh, and lots of organizations doing similar things in some cases, or very specialized technical organizations doing separate things in other cases. Um, we've looked for all kinds of patterns and all kinds of different ways, uh, but the basic conclusion is that there, as far as we can tell, there does not seem to be a European model, quote unquote, of uh, communicable disease control within individual countries. Rich, poor, east, west, there's, uh, there's definitely some patterns that we're gonna talk about, but uh, there's not a clear cut this is the way everybody does it. So some of the examples of the differences that we found, uh, some, some countries will put forward one key agency that, at least on paper, is responsible for doing everything, such as the Health Protection Agency at the U in the UK. Uh, a country like the Czech Republic uh, puts forward that the government is apparently coordinating with an agency and university uh, and so forth in Germany. There's two agencies with one of them playing a more of a lead role and so forth. We go country by country and describe all the interesting cases, but um, just the one that we'll put forward is interesting. It's just an example of how specialized some of these are. The National <laughs> Institute of, for Tuberculosis, Lung Disease, and Thoracic Surgery in what appears to be a beautiful and remote place in Slovakia. I won't try to pronounce the name of the city. Um, um, and so on the ECDC website of competent bodies, they list next to each organization uh, the core function, the functions that that organization performs. And then we tried to fill in the details with the hit reports to provide a little bit more uh, detail of what's happening. But the ECDC highlights eight core functions that any one organization perform. And many are very specialized and performs one of them. Uh, off the top of my head, I think there was eight or nine countries where one organization performs all eight functions. Um, but these functions, as described by ACDC, are communication, preparedness, preparing guidelines, response, surveillance, scientific advice, threat detection, and training. <coughs> and then there were, uh, as we've gone through the websites ourselves in the airport, there's obviously a number of other functions, such as providing medical services and so forth. But these are the eight that uh, the ECDC focused on. And what was interesting to me as we were developing, making our spreadsheets and so forth and digging into the, the data just was, as you can imagine, a just a mess of X's and blank cells. And trying to look for the patterns was difficult and I was skeptical that it would fit together in any particular way. But one, one thing I found really interesting um, is that even though there were lots of blank cells, in every country, somebody was doing one of these eight functions. So every country had somebody doing all eight functions. Uh, but of course, again, the caveat. Claiming. Yes. Right, Claiming. exactly. Yeah. The caveat is, this is on paper, at least. We can't. Uh, and, there, and there's political reasons, obviously, why this would be. Some organization, um, for example, I, in the paper, we talk about the example of Spain is an interesting case where they put forward uh, the health ministry as, as their organization that mm. does everything, uh, even though uh, kind of in practice on the ground, it's a very decentralized system. The regions play a much stronger role. Uh, and so those are some interesting distinctions that don't quite come out. But uh, I think also the formal relationships do matter, though, too. And it's, um, it's interesting to know who, at least, if, even if nobody is doing these functions, these are the people who would theoretically be doing them. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so some of our hypotheses or some of the, the particular patterns that we were looking for uh, and that we're going to talk about uh, are, are as follows. One is that the ministry does everything with little non-government capacity. Uh, another is uh, an arrangement where the government contracts with outsiders, institutes, uh, universities, research laboratories. Uh, another is where you have an agency on tap, which is uh, similar in a sense, but there's subordinate agencies performing uh, minor roles, many functions. Uh, and then agency on top, where you have the dominant agency, like uh, as in the UK. Um, and what we found, of course, is a high degree of fragmentation. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to Heather. Oh, her tell you the rest. Um, so I think it's obvious to everyone at this table, the degree of fragmentation within the European Union, where bodies are actually have something to do with communicable disease control, uh, is very high. And that actually is probably one of the most important aspects of our study, is that there really is no European model of infectious disease control uh, that we could at least see. Uh, the institutional landscape, both within the EU, but also within some countries, um, is very full. And there are many agencies that perform either one function or multiple functions, um, as David mentioned. So there's variation in the number of units that are had, um, the allocation of authority between the units and the kinds of units that are actually available within these countries. Um, and it's important to note, as, as David said, that there are some um, countries, such as the UK and the HPA, that are highly visible um, and high status. And it's important that we don't actually overshadow or have those agencies overshadow the degree of fragmentation that actually exists. Um, I think that can obscure the relationship slightly. Um, so one of the, the first steps that we had to take was looking at um, the total number of organizations and um, the regions that they're actually in. And this is based on raw numbers. Um, so as we can see in northern countries, which we define such as United Kingdom, Ireland, 77% um, of the institutions there are agencies. And what was interesting is that pattern actually held up for southern and post-communist states as well. Um, and of course, there's varying degrees of number of agencies. Um, but what was interesting to us is that the government um, actually had a small proportion relative, uh, which was an interesting finding. Oh. All right, thank you. Okay, um, so that nat naturally led us um, to one of our hypotheses of who's on top. And it's important to at least define how we looked at this. And this is part of the limitation as well. Uh, we defined a dominant agency as six, seven, or eight functions being performed by them. Of course, these are according to the ECDC, which is in itself, you know, they claim to do them. So this, this may not actually hold up. And as we mentioned before, who actually does it um, could be a function of who would do it if someone did do it, right? So it's not necessarily a matter of they are dominant agencies or dominant institutions. However, that's, that's how we decided to code it, and this is what we came up with, which is uh, rather fascinating, is that it actually varied based on region, and that in uh, southern states, which would include things like Italy and France, um, that the government actually was a dominant agency um, in 60% of the cases, um, but completely opposite in northern countries where the governments didn't even show up as dominant institutions, and it was largely the agency. And what was interesting was post-communist, um, in that there was, it seemed to be uh, rather similar in the mix. And if no dominant institution was found, that was because they didn't perform 
the number of functions that we were coding them as. Um, so what we looked at next was what is the regional institutional functions, and it's not necessary, you know, to actually to read all of this. I know that it may be hard for people in the back, um, but what this is really just focusing on is that agencies in northern countries perform a large number of the functions. So on the y-axis, you have the number <coughs> of functions that are performed by each institution, and blue is agencies. So as you can see, in many of these countries. Uh, that are classified as northern is that agencies take up a large number of functions. Government um, is hardly any, those are in the green, and then a regional body is in yellow. And so that also points out that there's hardly any regional bodies um, in northern countries. Uh, in southern countries, it's obviously much more varied. Uh, the government appears to take a much stronger role, and again, those are in the green. And um, Agencies are much smaller, and as we can see in Belgium, there's several regional bodies as well, and there's also independents that have come up in red. Uh, so much more heterogeneity in southern countries. And then in post-communist countries, um, we see that it's much more geared towards government and agency, um, and it's kind of a mix like we saw in, in the pie graphs as well. Uh, no regional bodies, however, they're um, are certainly a few independent bodies that take up many more uh, functions than we had seen before. Mm -hmm. So this naturally led us to several of the questions, um, which I think would certainly be, be good for discussion too, of what are, what are the actual powers that are granted through this? Are they formal, or are they budgetary, or are they political? And how do those actually relate to the ECDC and, and the institutions? Um, next is the residual role um, of the government. As we saw in the ECDC and HIP reports, everything tied back to the ministry. Whether that was actually the case or not, we really wonder how many steps or how far removed some of these groups are from the actual ministry itself. Um, David brought up Spain. That was a really good example of there are a lot of regional bodies and they seem to do the heavy lifting and then everything funnels back through the ministry in Madrid. And so just kind of understand what is the actual role of the government or the ministry itself in relation to the other institutions that are there. As far as invisible coordination, this really went to informal power structures. Um, as we know, maybe someone can pick up the phone who was at a post earlier and he has more power, she has more power than an organization itself. And so what, are the, what is the role of these informal power bases? And it can be organizational too and what is the extent of those. And measuring capacity, we, we really did that by function. We didn't actually say or make any judgments based on how well they do what they say they do. And of course, they may not do what they say they do either. Um, so we didn't look at that, and that is certainly something that would require going country by country and much further study in there. Um, as far as regional governments, like I mentioned before, the ECDC really picks up on who they feel is competent. That's largely a ministry or an agency. It doesn't necessarily get to regional. Um, Belgium was one of the outliers there. Um, and our data, like David said, was largely ECDC and the hit reports, which can have their own limitations in themselves. The hit reports were quite old in some cases, back to 95. And as we know, the landscape can change um, much, I mean, very rapidly. Um, so our conclusions that we came to is that there's a high degree of institutional density, both within the European Union, but also within 
um, various countries. Post-communist states seem to have higher degrees of that compared to northern countries. And um, as we seems to be the theme here is that there's a large degree of heterogeneity across the European Union. Um, and there's, if we look at um, something like the, the CDC here in the US, it's gonna be very hard to create some sort of cohesive units just because there is so, so much uh, fragmentation in the EU. Um, and path dependency seem to be there for post-communist states. It's also possible for northern and southern states. Um, but of course, that's uh, another study itself. Thank you.